Welcome to another episode of Civil Action. This is Todd Hollis from Todd J. Hollis Law. Today I have a very, very special guest. His name is Philip Hayden. He's a 26-year veteran of the FBI, and he also has a, a very particular uh, mindset, you know, on the culture of blue of the blue wall and and some other great things. He also is an expert witness when it comes to. Uh, testifying either for or against police officers when it relates to excessive force and a whole bunch of other accolades. But I won't speak for him. I'll let him speak for himself. Mr. Hayden, welcome to Civil Action. I am honored to have you here as a guest. How are you? My pleasure to be here. I'm fine. Well, you know, I, I want to get right into it. You know, we, we, we have so much to talk about in so little time. So first, why don't you introduce yourself to, to my guests? T tell us who you are, what you do, and, and, and you know, all the, the many accolades that I see on your curriculum, Vichay. Okay, just uh, very quickly about myself without going on and on. Um, I'm 26, a year veteran of the FBI as an agent with the FBI, and then as a supervisory agent with the FBI. And prior to that, I worked in Chicago and I worked in New York. And then I came right. to Quantico and spent uh, my time there at Quantico. Um, it was a unit called the SOARS Unit, Special Operations Research, which was a SWAT uh, personnel within the FBI. And then I was asked to take over a program at the FBI Academy for new agents and training new agents on how to deal with uh, situations and problems that they run across and do it in a safe manner that they would not be injured doing what they do. So. Right. Um, so that was my my background with them um during that time that last minute and this is important because this kind of tells you where i come from is that um i developed this program called the law enforcement training for safety and survival that was the let's program right and that let's program that. was for violent crimes task forces throughout the united states now the violent crimes task forces uh was composed of uh, federal agents local police, county police, city police, um, from all over the United States. And there was about mm -hmm. 1,600 of these uh, individuals, FBI agents, um, DEA agents, ATF agents, uh, customs, a lot of, a lot of federal um, people. And right. uh, then we had right. the police. And in that, uh, we found out that we had to have better communication between all the police and the FBI and other government agencies on how we communicate with each other. And also what is the program that each department has and why do they have the programs that they have? How do they deal with their police officers in, in matters that um, we as federal agents really weren't used to? 
So we did, we did a lot of work on that. And that's when I got my doctorate in education, dealing with how can I train people to do a job in a better way and do it in a way that's conducive to safety and survival. Sure. So 26 years with the FBI, I mean, obviously there, there's a lot of, you know, good and bad things that I'm sure that you've seen. Um, you know, I've, I've been a defense attorney for almost 27 years. And, you know, in that time, you know, we, we met a lot of clients who would tell us that, you know, they had interactions with police officers. And most times they said that those police officers were, you know, either overly aggressive with them or they did something that, you know, they felt that was violative of their civil rights. You know, but when I first started, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of social media. Um, many times we had to rely, you know, just on what a police officer told us. And if we didn't, if we didn't have any information to contradict what that police report said, you know, oftentimes we were, we were left having, you know, to almost dismiss, you know, what our clients were telling us, you know, with a grain of salt, of course. But, you know, now in this new, you know, electronic, you know, media age, I mean, we don't, you know, really have to ask a police officer a whole lot. You know, we can see it. But, you know, even still, there, there seems to be a, a great divide, um, between the culture, you know, of, of police officers and, you know, the, the culture that, you know, most lay American citizens have to live in. So you wrote this great article and it's kind of how it, it led me to you, you know, where you talk about, you know, the great wall of silence. And you said that at one point you, you are a brick in that wall. Um, again, why don't, why don't we get into that and you tell me what inspired the article and what your position is on it? Okay. I, I think it'd be fair for you and your listeners. Let's go back a little bit and let's talk about the, um, the blue wall, the thin wall of silence that the police departments seem that they have. Okay. And why that that is there now right when when we're talking about police departments you can be talking about a five person department or a thirty-five thousand department and every one of those departments it's a team concept in police work like you would have in the military you have teams in the military that work together and it's the same right. thing right. in law enforcement you might have a small group of five people you might have a group of 20 30 people on a squad that all work together. And when that happens, um, just you just have to imagine, and let's take, take a case here, let's take administrative problem. We have a police officer that violates their administrative, administrative problems they have. That uh, for instance, um, let's just say that the department says, you will not, you cannot take any gratuities from anybody outside from restaurants or anything else, but yet a police officer goes into a uh, coffee shop and the people there say, hey, coffee's on us. Thank you for your mm -hmm. service. So the police officer takes it. Now the rookie that's with him, he's looking at this thing saying, wait, we're told we can't take anything. So now he goes to the department to, uh, to his supervisor and says, hey, officer so-and-so, a 10-year, 20-year veteran, whatever it is, took a cup of coffee. Well, the supervisor might say to him, hey, don't take the cup of coffee anymore. Don't do that. But yet what happens? This individual 
that said something, he's now known as a person you can't trust. And uh, it's just the, just the way it kind of works out there. So a police officer has to look at this thing and say, okay, when do I, when do I say something? When don't I say something? And so when we, when we look at this thing, we want to make sure that everybody is treated fairly. Now, mm-hmm. we are a society of secrets when you look at this. Yes, we are. If you have a, um, well, let's take, um, let's take you as an attorney. You as an attorney are told by your client certain things. Now, if you sure. went and told other people that, you're breaking your oath and you're protected by the law that you don't, you know, you don't have to say anything that this uh, client told you. But, so, but that's, but, but, but not, not, not to cut you off, but, but there's a distinct difference between, yes, there is, you know, I'm gonna get legally. To okay. All right. And I'm going to get to that, but this is the okay. point I'm trying to make. We are a society of secrets. You got a priest, uh, a rabbi, a preacher, whatever it is, the same thing. He's protected by law many times by not saying anything. A journalist is protected. So we are a society of secrets. We don't tell on our secrets. Now, this is what a police officer, he's facing a situation where he's not a priest, he's not a journalist, he's not an attorney. He's 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 an agent, he's a police officer, and he has an obligation to the general public to be honest, to be fair, to be straightforward. And yet, in this administrative thing, he turns somebody in, he's kind of blackballed, and he knows that. So where does he finally get to the point where saying, hey, I'm not going to look the other way. Something is wrong here, and I don't like it. Now, there have been departments all across the country have had major investigations to where they've done something and they've been prosecuted. Uh, and they've gone to jail, been fired, whatever it might be. And there are those cases. But there's many times when nothing is said because you don't want to cross that thin blue line because it's going to mess up the team concept. And that's the theory behind why nobody really wants to cross that black, you know, that, that blue line. Is it because um, they're going to be blackballed? Or is it because it's a dishonorable organization? And I don't think that's the case. I think it's just that the case that, hey, I want to work within this organization and I don't want to be known as the person that's telling on everybody. So, you know, that's the problem that we have there. Now, you'd mentioned about you started to say something about attorneys. It's different. So I don't know if that explained it or not. Well, it it, it does, but it doesn't. All right. So. You know, the, the privilege that exists between an attorney and a client, you know, is, is one that's created by constitution. But, right. Absolutely. You know, the relationship. Said, yeah, that law. A, You're protected by law. Right. But the relationship that a police officer has um, to a given situation, again, it, you know, is to the constitution. It's, it's to the to the duty to uphold the law. And, you know, at, at a given situation, you know, it, it, when a first, when a situation first, you know, kind of creates itself, the only witnesses to that situation most often are police officers. Mm-hmm. So if John Doe police officer watches Jane Doe police officer commit a crime, but he doesn't say anything, 
who is going to, you know, up, basically enforce the law if the police are unwilling to do it because they believe that it's it's going to potentially endanger a colleague. And Todd, I, I agree with you 100 percent, you know, and you, you mentioned that one word criminal right there. When there's a criminal violation, I think, and this is my personal belief, I think most police officers would say, you know, we're not going to cross that. But then there's that question, where does the line go from administrative to criminal to did they do something wrong? Do I want to be known as the person that can't be trusted? And can I work in the department? There's a lot of questions they have to answer. And I'm not, sure. I'm not at all saying that if a criminal invest or criminal um, deed is done, that a police officer should not be charged with that. I, I believe that they should be. But well, um, I, yeah, I get that. Point where how yeah. do you, when do you get to that point? What do you say? How do you do it? Well, you, you are you are an exception, obviously. Um, and I'm sure that there are a lot of other, you know, police officers who, who also, you know, maintain your sense of duty and your sense of honor as it relates to the law, regardless of how that, you know, where, where the truth lies, you know, whether it's for or against a police officer. You know, you wrote this great article and I want to make sure that I title it correctly, just in case our listeners want to go to it. It's why an f why an ex fbi agent decided to break through the blue wall of silence and you wrote that you know with the usa today and you talked about some of the very issues that we're discussing you know here today so i want to ask you what inspired that article and i also want to talk to you about you know a young man that um i believe you testified you know on behalf of his family during a criminal investigation um, that involved a police officer that got shot and killed him. Uh, that, of course, is uh, Jordan Edwards. So let's talk about the article and then, you know, we can we can talk more about the Edwards case. We have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort 